Uh, it's been so long since we've been in the book of Mark. Can anybody tell me where we're at? <laughs> Somewhere in between, huh? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, was it two weeks ago? It seems like a long time ago we had all that snow. It was Palm Sunday, wasn't it? And uh, so we took a vacation that week. <laughs> And uh, so, and last week, of course, was Resurrection Day. So we're going to come back to Mark. I think we're in ch- uh, chapter two, starting at verse eighteen. And uh, I think we'll probably uh, go through the end of the chapter. And as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Christ at work in His ministry. And the last. Well, the last few weeks before we were in this section, we saw His healings and how they represented uh, the power of God and that He can heal people. And even more than that, there's a spiritual healing that's even more important because it's dealing with eternal life. And so when He healed the leper, that was an amazing thing and, and we all rejoiced because the man doesn't have leprosy anymore and of course other people did too. But really what it's intimating is that we are all lepers in a terrible situation as leprosy was, as they were separated from the whole community and everything. Uh, It means we're in a desperate spiritual condition as he uses that leprosy. Uh, Then there was the story of the paralytic in that uh, same area. And he was let down the, the roof, through the roof, and down to the floor right in front of... Christ and immediately got his sins forgiven right there on the spot. He was expecting them to be just healed, you know, physically. But at first, his sins were forgiven. And what does that represent? Well, we're all paralytics. We need a healing. We're paralyzed. We're lepers. And so we need our sins forgiven, right? We need to be spiritual. We need to be whole. So following that was the story of the tax collector, Levi. And of course, the tax collectors are the people that nobody likes unless you're a tax collector and and a sinner. But that calling that Jesus did was uh, an amazing thing because Jesus, being a religious person, shouldn't even been talking to him, let alone going to his house. And not only going to his house, but in the house... And not only in the house, but to eat his food with other tax collectors and sinners. And that was a total no-no. No religious, spiritual person would ever do that. So that goes against the grain of all the legalistic matter that uh, the Pharisaic religion had of that day. And of course, uh, needless to say, the Pharisees got very angry. All the other spiritual leaders that he had even speak to such sinful people, let alone eat and socialize with them. So he breaks all the religious rituals and rules. Just breaks them right in front of them. And he knows he's doing it. The thing is, those rules are not his rules. They're their own rules. They they made them up. They made them up to kind of coincide with uh, the law that God had given them. But this is not anything that God had ever given in the laws that they uh, had made. It was their own making. So Jesus is now challenging their religion in every way possible. 
So we'll see some more. And as we go through this today, we'll see that whether it be about forgiving sin, which was, uh, that was unheard of for anybody pronounced that somebody's sins were forgiven. And so he was considered to be a heretic. And then calling notorious sinners to follow him. So not only did he go to his house and eat and eat with the sinners, uh, Levi, Matthew, was actually going to go everywhere Jesus did. He's going to follow him. So the controversy has already been stirred. Getting a little bit of uh, action that's really uh, heating up now as Jesus is exposing the dead religion of this time with all the rituals and traditions and legalism. And every time that they try to trap him, what happens? He traps them. They try to get it in, in everything they can, you know, and they get caught in their own snare, their own trap that they have. Oh, this is our this is our savior, guys. Jesus is very loving, right? He's very compassionate, very merciful. Jesus is that way, that that's his character. But he is lethal against false religion and hypocrisy and he will attack it furiously not only then whenever he was walking here on earth but he expects that the word of God should always attack furiously anything that uh, is short of God's truth and so he's not so sweet and gentle when it comes to anything that counters up against this gospel he is not going to put up with it And uh, this gospel is truth. So he judges and he condemns a religion that takes people away from what truth is and he will not put up with self-righteous, man-made religion whatsoever. And we're going to see that more and more as it happens. matter of fact, he absolutely irritates these Pharisees. And he sets things up sometimes because he knows they're watching and so he does it right on purpose just to demonstrate uh, the fallacies of false religion versus the truth that that he has. So Jesus is not that mild and meek and weak individual that some people would like him to make, uh, make him out to be. Um, Because whenever there's idolatry, and that's really what it is, it's making Jesus out to be somebody different. You know, if, if he's weak, um, you don't see it here in Scripture. He's not weak at all, is he? And so, false religions is something he will not put up with. So our passage today is even going to gear things up even more. Things are going to be heated up as far as controversy is concerned. And it's about fasting and the Sabbath. Now, those are good things in themselves. God gave those to His people. Good things. But what Jesus has to do is come in and totally dismantle Judaism and strike right at the heart of what the problem really is. Um, Whenever He gives gifts and gives things for people, He does it not to put a burden on them, but He gives it as blessings. But people like to take the blessings and turn them into burdens, especially the leaders. And so it'll make them look good, self-righteous, man-centered. It's a works-based system that merits will bring people into a...
better standing with God. That's what they think of this. So Jesus knows this is an old system and it's totally gone awry from what the Word of God and the law was meant to be. And it's going to be replaced. It is being replaced right at the moment as He's walking here. It's out of date. And everything they've done is wrong anyway. Totally wrong. God never intended for His oracles to be taken this way. They added their own regulations, detracted from what God had revealed to His people. Jesus comes in, strips these man-made traditions down to nothing. And then He teaches us that our own attempts to make ourselves acceptable before God are absolutely worthless endeavors. That strikes at the heart of religion, doesn't it? So this shows that we're all in desperate need of the Gospel because we can't satisfy God on our own. It's only Christ and His work. It's the only way to God through Christ. And that's the only way He can be known in how He forgives sin. So, as we prepare to enter into chapter 2, verse 18, let's have a a word with the Lord. Father, thank You for the Word. And uh, we pray that this will be a blessing to us today. These stories are familiar to us. We have heard them many times, most of us. Some of us maybe have not. But may we get at the heart of what the Gospel is about today. Help us to learn who You are. And to thank You for the blessings and the freedom that we actually have. In your Son's name, Amen. Uh, We'll pick it up at uh, verse 18. We'll read through verse 22, that first section. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Jesus sets it right here. So the time is uh, right for Him to give another teaching lesson. And it gives us even a a lesson to us today as we have much legalism and um, things that try to take us away from the very freedom and person of Christ. Pharisees had just asked a question before. Why Jesus eats with sinners. We know why He does. So He told them, really, that they were self-righteous. Because of their self-righteousness, they didn't really need Him because their own righteousness was what they were after anyway. Their endeavor was to please God by their own, own works and own things that they did. But sinners need Him. He came. I, he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. They're not righteous in themselves, although they think they are. So, the people that recognize their sin and they have a need, that's who He comes for. Well, that's a question they ask about. Now they ask this other question. Well, why didn't 
Jesus' disciples fast. Look at us. We fast. Even John's disciples over here fast. But they don't. It's a problem here. Right? And what is fasting? Fasting is refraining from food for a certain length of time. And there usually is a reason of mourning, of grief, um, maybe sin, or one is really searching out the will of the Lord and the very interceding of Christ that they need. So they, they take uh, some time, maybe a, a day or whatever. And uh, it's actually even physically good for people to do that uh, ever so often. Well, there are some secular people have discovered this fasting. And they say, hey, if you don't eat, you lose weight. What amazing discovery! <laughs> and so therefore, they're on fast also. There's an amazing difference between that kind of fasting and the fasting where one is really seeking the will of the Lord. It's, it's a good thing sometimes for people to um, maybe take the time that they would take to be eating and talking with people uh, having to worry about maybe even fixing the food. and then eat, They just want to have a discipline for themselves. It's not a matter of, of, of really pleasing God in the sense that, hey, if I do this, I'll get more points. And if we do, then we're on the same track that the Pharisees and other people were. But um, So we want to set it right. It can be a good thing. Um, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the Scripture on, on fasting. But it certainly was a bad thing of what he was attacking. Now, the fasting was coming from basically two camps that we see here. John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. So the Pharisees know that even John the Baptist's disciples, he's probably, I think, in jail at this time, they're fasting. And there's probably a good reason, maybe uh, because they're fasting for the reason that John the Baptist, their leader, is is in prison. Uh, maybe they've been fasting because John the Baptist taught that of repentance and confession. And usually, uh, the Pharisees would have looked at John's disciples and kind of compared them with Jesus and his disciples. But on this case, they say, huh, okay, we'll take those guys and kind of put them on their side for a moment kind of way that you guys are really odd. You're, you're not doing the right thing. You're, you're, not, you're not doing the fasting. Uh, if you look in Matthew 9.14 says, Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So even John the Baptist's disciples were asking, hey, what's the deal? So you're getting it really from, from both. And many of John's disciples had remained under John the Baptist. Have you ever wondered why? Kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, so let's say he's imprisoned, and so they're still kind of uh, under his ministry, but not really because he's not around. And so not all of the disciples of John the Baptist went with Jesus. A lot of them just kind of hung out there. Well, they continue the religious things and they continue their fasting. Uh, maybe, maybe good reasons and maybe not so much either. It could have been the same kind of deal that the Pharisees were doing. Maybe some of them weren't so necessarily mournful over their sins or repenting. Um, maybe they were in a religious mode. 
a religious mode in a negative way, and they liked the externals. The externals always help us make us feel better because it makes us look like we're doing something. And yeah, as Christians, we should be doing something. But there's a fine line sometimes of getting over into uh, externals and running into Phariseeism. Well, I always ask, you know, it's kind of interesting, why weren't they pursuing after Christ if He's the real thing? Kind of interesting. Well, the, that's, that's the group of John's disciples. What about the Pharisees? What's, what's their fasting about? Well, they had made two days a week as their fasting time. Tuesdays and Thursdays. I mean, they had this mapped out. It's on the calendar. It doesn't have to be on the calendar. It's in the mind. They know. Tuesday's there, you fast. Thursday, you fast. You know? And everybody knew it too. Everybody knew those Pharisees with their nice little religious outfits that they had on when they were fasting and oh, they would put it on like they were uh, in a repentant mode and dust and ashes. And <laughs> you know, this is not found in Scripture with what they did. They set it up as Tuesdays and Thursdays. It was an outward show of piety. It made them look spiritual. Man, they were doing things and the people thought, oh wow, I wish I could do it two days. I can't, I can't even do it more than once a year. But, so those guys are really holy. you know. So they prided themselves on wearing this sackcloth and ashes and mourning for sin and they liked getting the attention from the people that they were religious and you know we think of today the Hindu holy man you know he sits in a lotus position with the flowers all around him and his hands folded together and people say now that's holy that's religious there that's external that's nothing that's emptiness don't you feel sorry for those people it's all external it's a self-righteous religiosity So, what they were really good at was turning the blessings that God had given them into burdens. And they put burdens and burdens more and more on people. And uh, Jesus really takes this and He shows that this is an absolute wrong religion. The Pharisees are seeing, as they see Jesus and the disciples, party time. Man, these guys are having a blast. They don't even fast or anything. They're they're acting like they're at a wedding all the time. You know, look at them. They're not religious. Let's look in uh, Luke chapter 18. Eleven and twelve. Remember this guy. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Oh man, this guy's good. (laughs) And even names of swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Like that guy. I fast, here it is, twice a week. That's what? Tuesdays and Thursdays. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
that pretty well tells it. That's quite the parable, isn't it? But I'm sure that happened all the time, even though it was a parable. This Pharisee, or these Pharisees, have their confidence in what they do and in what they don't do. And they can measure that off, put the pluses and minuses there, and they're on the plus side. They are doing just great. Hey, this guy was a double faster. <laughs> I mean, when you, if you've done it just once, you know that that's pretty tough sometimes if you've not gotten adapted to it, you know, and your whole body starts getting confused. You know, But... I mean, a double faster. Every week, he thought God was pleased with him because of all of his efforts. So we have to turn back to Matthew 6.16, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus clarifies really what a spiritual person is and what fasting is about. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, those actors that put the mask on. For they neglect their appearance. Look, all really bad. <laughs> they do this. So that they will be noticed by men and they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's just saying you don't have to go around advertising it to people. This is a thing between you and the Lord. And if this is something that uh, you have been led to do and you desire to do it, okay, it's between you and you and Him. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, Galatians 6.12 Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, Judaizers, simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Look in Isaiah 58. through five. Why have we fasted and you do not see? <clears throat> Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today and make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? They were observing fast and doing fast and making it look good, but all at the same time, their lives were not living it out. Those fasts were really nothing empty. So, in our Mark passage here, you have the Pharisees equating, actually, the disciples of John the Baptist with them, in a sense, because they did this. They probably resembled the Pharisees in a way. Pharisees disturbed. 
that like to kill this man already. I mean, whenever he had walked into the temple and cleansed the temple for the first time that he was in Jerusalem and did that, the anger that he had, oh, they, they're right there. You know, they, they were ready to kill him. What right does he have? Now he's just making them more and more mad. And they ask this question, won't your disciples fast? And you know, it's very possible. The very day that their fasting could be right then. It could be a Tuesday or a Thursday when they're doing this. Don't know. What are you guys doing? What are you doing here? We all fast. Your boys are not doing it. What kind of religious leader are you? You know? You're not going to have a right standing with God. Look at what you're doing and not doing. Now, you see a few times in the Old Testament when the people fast. It was really for a special day. It was a particular circumstance. And they needed to pursue that. They needed to pursue the Lord. And so you'll see that occasionally in the Old Testament. Um, The fasting that they had was never dealing with what Scripture had to deal with. There was really only one fast demanded of the Jews. Once a year. That was called the Day of Atonement, which is the day that people would mourn for their sins. And the priest, high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and representing himself and the people and taking the blood. And, and uh, So he ministered for them and uh, the people would fast and repent. So that was really what God had commanded. If you go back to Leviticus 16... Verse 29, This shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now that's a good feast that shows what's going to happen spiritually at the cross, at the, at the ultimate atonement. This is a good picture but it also shows what they were to actually do if their hearts are right. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. And they should be you know, having a, a relationship with the Lord all the time. But this gives them a special day to pursue. So the priest who is anointed or ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonements atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar he shall also make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year and just as the Lord had commanded Moses so he did he did it once in that day of atonement even though there's sacrifices going on every day but this particular one is to represent the once and for all sacrifice that Christ would do uh, as Christ came on the scene and so that that was pointing to that now there were voluntary fasts that uh, occasionally you would see people do uh, special times um, In Luke 4.2, you have Jesus, for instance, 
out in the wilderness. Remember, he was driven by the Holy Spirit and for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. And when that ended, he became hungry. So he fasted. He had a ministry that was coming on and uh, so the discipline that he had was incredible. That's amazing in itself. But um, I would not suggest going on a 40-day fast. Uh, there Sometimes there's 40 days of prayer and 40 such, but to go without eating during that time um, probably would not be the healthiest thing for you. Unless you're on one of those reality shows, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, go to Judges 20, 26. This is whenever they're going up against the sons of Benjamin, sons of Israel. That's they're from one of their own tribes. Then all the sons of Israel and all the people went up and came to Bethel and wept. Thus they remained there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I mean, this is something serious that they're going to have to do. They seek out the Lord and uh, mournful for sin. That's a pretty good reason to be fasting at that time. Um, There are other places that we could uh, go to to kind of get the idea that certain people at certain times would have that, but uh, we know that it's once a year where they were prescribed to do it unless the Lord would uh, tell them to do it at that time. So it can be a good thing. It can be a blessing if the motives are right. Not trying to get approval from God, but desiring to know what God's will. Just seeking out. And even when you do that, you may not get... Uh, a a real answer right in front of you. Who knows, you might. Uh, But it it can be a a good thing. And it can be healthy for the body sometimes as a a cleansing there. So it's not to be forgotten about. In our times, I think it has. I I think that we've probably gone to the extreme in the sense that we never even talk about it. And so you see it in Scripture. You see it in the New Testament here. So there's, there's definitely something to it. Um, it. It can be a good thing, but it there, there again, you know, so, and some people even have regular times that do it. They're not going to tell you. Or there are a few books out that are very helpful t- uh, for doing that. And if you do want to try it, you, you might want to try it really slow at first. Don't try to go on, on all day without without some kind of food and uh, just different things that are suggestions in those. But um, so we see the good and we see the bad uh, on it, the way that it's taken. Uh, definitely gives us time to pray. Gives us a, maybe a, a different, rather than the ordinary time that we take to uh, to eat and talk with people and such. It teaches self-discipline. Uh, here in this time, we we all need self-discipline anyway. You know, it's it's always good to to be that, not in a legal manner though. Uh, sometimes we can do with a lot less food. Uh, When we're hungry, it increases our awareness for dependence upon God. And if you go a whole day and you haven't eaten anything, chances are you're going to be really hungry. And it really reminds you that, hey, I depend on Him for food totally. Okay, well, Jesus answers. Jesus answers. He is the answer. He is the truth. They have the truth coming right at them. If only they would have desired it. 
and 21. Actually, even before that, um, he's stressing it. Was it uh, Jesus, or 19, 19 through 21? He talks about, as he gives an illustration here about the bridegroom and at a wedding, you know, people are not going to fast at a wedding. You know, that's that's the last place you think of. You know, I mean, you got a feast going here. It's a time of joy, you know, especially back then. I mean, weddings were one of the highlights of, uh, of the year if you get to go to a wedding. And he's relating that to the fact that the Messiah is right with them. I mean, God is on earth right here walking with them. This is a time for joy, isn't it? So when someone goes to the wedding, they don't expect to go there and, and get starved. They're thinking, where's the food? As soon as the wedding uh, uh, service is over, I mean, you go to the, the, the wedding reception and you're looking around, where's that? You know, looking for something to drink you know, and, to, and, and to eat and just enjoy. So wedding guests don't mourn and they don't fast. So he uses a great illustration here. And they all knew that. Can you imagine being at a wedding feast? And a bridegroom comes over to you. He says this. Hey, you know what? You can have another cracker if you like. And help yourself to a second glass of water. (laughs) Cracker and water. That's what some people will use for, for a fast. And that's all they will have for the day. What kind of wedding feast is this? You know? What party is this? This is basically what Jesus is is saying here. Um, Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 4. And you're familiar with this. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And that's the balance of life. God is giving, given these things and, and there are certain times when it's not appropriate to be laughing. <laughs> you know? And there are certain times whenever it's appropriate to laugh and not to be weeping and repenting and such. So when Jesus was walking the earth, His presence should have created a celebration. I think a lot of people did take into that. The Messiah had come. Not all of them are really aware of how much of a Messiah He is, but they didn't need to mourn. They needed to rejoice. He's here. And there's going to be a day when He's going to be crucified. And there's going to be a time when people would be crying and mourning and weeping for Him. And so He compares Himself to the bridegroom. They were to rejoice though right now. That's the idea. Now he gives another thing. He's really attacking the religious mode here. They ask the question. He gives the answer. He sets it up here. You know, hey, he's more or less saying the bridegroom is here. Now he gets into the old Judaism, which had developed through Phariseeism. And he's showing that you guys are in the wrong way here. It's the wrong pattern. Here's what we've got. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and worse tear results. We've heard this many times. He's bringing in a new covenant. And he's calling for a new way of life. 
they had just a pitiful way of living. The gospel is what he's saying is something that cannot be combined or added to the religion of Judaism. The gospel cannot fit into that. Uh, and he compares it to it can't fit any more than an unshrunk cloth that you'd take and 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 have as a, a patch on a worn out piece of garment, a coat or whatever, putting that patch on there. When the garment is washed, and what Jesus is alluding to is that the patch is going to shrink and it's going to pull away from the old garment and you're going to wind up having even a worse hole than you had before. And he uses something they, they know. They know what he's talking about. The Gospel comes through Jesus and He's offering grace. Now, grace has always been there. You can only be saved by grace. But now it's becoming brought forth to them in a more full way. Of course, He is the one that's offering this grace. Gospel of grace cannot be brought and added to Judaism. It can't fit. It doesn't work. They offered the law. Now the law is good. And of course, Jesus is the one that fulfills that. But in the law, they took it and expanded and had the rule keeping. It was man-made. Christianity actually is the fulfillment of the true Judaism that the Lord had given in the Old Testament, the oracles, the Word of God. It's the fulfillment of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Man couldn't do it. A nation couldn't do it. The leaders of that nation couldn't do it. He just showed that nobody can fulfill the law. Only Christ. And that's the point. He's showing that's why you know this law and justice that you're trying to do, uh, it has its purpose. really should show you that you need grace. The law can only point out sin and it can only condemn. It only judges. It can't save. It's used as a means though to get somebody to the point of where they know they need to be saved. So sewing on a patch on a garment he uses. Then he uses another one right after that. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. They know exactly what that's all about. He uses these things that everybody knows and he doesn't speak totally over their head. They, they know exactly what he's saying. Wine was not kept in glass bottles as we think of today. Of course, if you go to uh, what uh, uh, to Spain or, or Mexico and you go to the bullfights, they have these bags, you know, like wineskins. Uh, kind of like that. They would use uh, goats, goat skins. And really, they they would sew around the edges, and they'd sew them to form a watertight bag. Nothing could get out of it. So it's a pretty good sewing job these guys knew how to do. New wine, if it were poured into these bags, is going to expand. It ferments, right? New wine does. It it, it ferments. So uh, that's not going to work. As it ferments, it stretches, and the bag. Uh, really has been used. It's it's had its use, and and so when the wine ages that had been there before, the wine skin is really brittle now. It's brittle because of the age. It's not going to be able to stretch anymore. 
So then it would burst if you put the new wine in there. So, you know, we've probably all heard this. Maybe we haven't. You say, I wonder why you used that. Well, that was something of their times that they knew very well about that. It was, the new wine was always poured into a brand new wine skin. Otherwise, you're just wasting because the thing's going to bust. Well, the Pharisees are like the old wine skins. They were too rigid in their own Judaism to follow Christ who could not be contained in those old wineskins or the wineskin of Phariseeism, Judaism, legalism, ritualism. He doesn't fit into that. He has something new here. And that's really what he's presenting to them. This must have made them very angry. They know what he's saying. It is clear. He uses an illustration that is not over anybody's head. So the Pharisees are like old wineskins. This is what you guys are. Your traditions and rules? Uh -uh. They're they're the self-appointed guardians of the old garments and the wineskins. That's really what they are. Christianity is a new structure. Now it does build upon what God had given in the Word of God. But the gospel of grace can't be stitched in this man-made religion. can't ever work. So would you say that Christianity is absolutely incompatible with any other kind of religion? If it wasn't compatible with Judaism, which is very close. I mean, they had the Bible, right? But it still it was a man-made. Christianity cannot fit with any other religions. That's why Jesus said that He's the only way. You can't come up with a hybrid. And that's what people do. They try to take Christianity and then put in some little bit of legalism and put it together. And here's what you have. It can't be done. That's what Christ is saying. Well, you might say to yourself, well, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm sure glad I'm not a Pharisee <laughs> as you're praying. Well, here's what the Pharisee believed. Okay, you ready? Essentially, it's this. A good God rewards nice people for doing their best. Sounds pretty good. That is not the gospel. That's not even close. We say, I've done pretty good this week and I don't understand why God hasn't blessed me. I don't understand why He hasn't answered my prayer because I've done this and done this and did this. You know what? <laughs> that doesn't work. That is Phariseeism. He said, that can't be Phariseeism. Yes, it is. Have we done that? Sometimes we said, okay, if I act real good, then maybe you know, God will give me what I think I need. That's, that's not gospel. He said, well, that's, that sounds right. Does it, doesn't that sound right? It sounds good, doesn't it? Well, I want to tell you, if we went up and down Missouri Boulevard or went into the mall or Walmart where all the people are asked and just ask them about what they believe about God, that will be the prevailing view. If that. Anybody that would say they believe in God would basically think that if I have done pretty good things and I've stayed nice and good, then God will reward me for that. As long as we do our good, the best that we can do, we try, God will make us happy. 
What do you think of that one? God hasn't made me happy. And I've done this and I've done that. What do you guys think? Have you, have you ever thought that way? I bet you have. I'm not happy, so... And, I, and I've done... I know I've done everything that God has asked me to do. And I know I'm supposed to be doing You know what that is? It's Phariseeism. Because we're trying to please Him with our own actions. I say that because that's awful easy to do. That's human nature. Spurgeon said this. You guys ready for a Spurgeon quote? Got to get a Spurgeon quote in today, right? If there is one stitch in the celestial garment of our righteousness that we must insert ourselves, then we are lost. Wow. (laughs) If there's something else that we have to add to what God has given, then we're lost. Wow. It's all about Christ. It's all about His work on the cross. It's not about our performance. It's not about our effort. That doesn't excuse us from not doing Christian things and serving the Lord. We're not saying that. We're, we're talking on this other extreme side. I can't be accepted by anything else but by Christ's atonement. That is how I'm accepted. Well, that's part one. Ready for part two? Actually, it's part three. We had fasting. And then we had Jesus' illustrations. Now we have this controversy that will continue to get even worse. Pick it up at verse 23. And it happened that He was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. It just happened to be that way. And His disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. What? Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to accept except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And they are trying to correct Him on the Sabbath, and He's the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm going to use this word. What? Fools. They're talking to God, and they're correcting Him on what this is about. And He's the one that gave it to them. The Creator. Seventh day. Resting. This is another clash between Jesus and the religious leaders. It occurs on a Sabbath. Jesus and the disciples are just out taking a stroll on a Sabbath day. In a farmer's field at that. I bet you they're farther than a half a mile. (laughs) That's as far as you can walk on a Sabbath day. As far as their rules are concerned. So you get what Jesus and the disciples are doing? He's, you know, he's out there and said, "Hey, guys, go ahead. And, you can go ahead and pick from it." Well, well, we're not supposed to do that. Matter of fact, aren't we? Didn't we walk about a couple hundred yards further than we we're supposed to be? Yeah, but it's a field out here. You guys can do that. You know, you're welcome to do that. It's fine. It's legal. Now, on any other day, I've been perfectly fine to pick from the field and say, "Well, they're stealing from the farmer's field." 
know on on those particular parts out, out there of their fields they they could come in there and pick from it it's not that you pick up uh, great big baskets and baskets and baskets and you take them home with you <laughs> but while you're out there you can pick and, and eat there yeah it's the sabbath that they can do that now the thing is their particular law says this is harvesting Got rub my hands, and of course you'd do that to separate that, and then you get to the grain. But that's hard. That's work. That's that's work. You can't do that. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-three. Back to the law. Twenty-three verse uh, twenty-five. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand. But you shall not wield a sickle when your neighbor's standing grain. Can you imagine going out there to, taking that thing down and taking it all back home? Sure. He says, but it's fine. You can go into that standing grain and, and pluck heads. You know, you're hungry. That's fine. That's, that is uh, a good thing to do. It's all come from the Lord anyway. Now you have this critical accusation. Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Oh, they are just they're they're drilled at this. I mean, they are really angry. What what do you do? You've done all this other stuff, now you're you're letting them do this? And he just irritated them. They are critics. And he takes advantage of opportunity, uh, and they're furious, they're angry, and they've imposed a system full of Sabbath laws. They made themselves the Lord of the Sabbath. And here we are. They're the lords of the people, aren't they? They're controlling the people and how what they could do and what they couldn't do on the Sabbath. And it really amounted to really not much of anything. And God made that day for a special day. Well, what Jesus is going to do is quote right out of where it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And he starts off with, have you never read? You're supposed to know the Scripture. You guys know the law. You know the Bible. They knew it. They'd read it for many times. But do they really know it? They should have known Scripture. They're the teachers of it. But Jesus just reveals the ignorance, the demands that they put. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? I mean, uh, he has people with him. He's out hiding out. And the enemy's after him. And so they're hungry and they come to the, the tabernacle. And there you have priests there. You have loaves that are constantly being ministered to as, as you go through the week. Uh, you have one week there. They, they bring the bread in. Uh, the table of showbread, also in the tabernacle, was the uh, uh, the lights there, and of course the uh, a place that was dealing with the, uh, the the oil. And so, what they did whenever they brought the bread in there, they would consecrate that, and it would be twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes, and that uh, that's placed in there in, in the right place. The priests do that. And then they go in there and take those older loaves out 
and then they would divide that amongst themselves. It was for the priest to eat, nobody else, as far as the law was concerned. And David comes in there, the priests know the need of David, and they're very hungry, and they're, they're in the need. And the priest used common sense here. Even though the law says it was meant for the priest, this is the bread that had already been in the tabernacle. Uh, they had replaced it with other bread. It was removed for them, them to eat. And they're saying, okay, you guys can have this bread. So David's need, I want you to catch this, was far more important than the regulation. There's a regulation of that Sabbath, the priestly regulations. His need was far more than that. And God does not punish David for being hungry and eating of the priest's bread. It's okay. You use common sense. It's made for man. God bless this particular day. So, what Jesus is saying is if you condemn David, what did they think of David? Oh, man. I mean, he's, you know, you think of Abraham and you think of David, Moses. I mean, those guys right there, I mean, that's it. And so he uses David and uh, now he's got him, doesn't he? Don't, don't you know what happened in Scripture? They were hungry and, and uh, they were able to eat. Eat the bread. The Sabbath is for man. You have to go back to Genesis chapter 2. 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day God completed His work which He had done and He rested on the Sabbath day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. So it's a good thing, and then we see that he uses that particular day later on for people to have a, a special elite day to rest themselves and to worship him, and it even comes in to the law of, of how they can worship him. It was a good thing. Um, Jesus was not condoning disobedience to the Word of God here, but he was really emphasizing wisdom and discernment and compassion about those ceremonial laws. Those ceremonial laws versus people's needs. Which is more important? Right? People's needs are more important than little technicalities. <laughs> Legalist would say, nope, you can't have it. It says you're right here in the law that you cannot and they don't use any wisdom, don't use any discernment. They take what uh, is there and uh, legalists take what God meant for benefits turns them into burdens. That's what happens today. You have all sorts of people having their own ideas what the Sabbath is and I think the New Testament makes it very clear and I think it's very important, you know. And some take that Sabbath and day and transfer it over into the first day of the week and say that's the now the church's Sabbath. And of course, in a lot of your writings, the Puritans will use that, and this is the Sabbath. Or even uh, even at the time of 
uh, maybe Spurgeon are pretty close. No, use that word Sabbath. They're, they're talking about Sunday, the day of worship that we're familiar with. Some people have their own ideas of what can be done on the Sabbath and what can't. Um, I would say I think it's one of those things that we want it to be a wholly set apart day. Uh, it's it's absolutely a gift that most of us are off on Sunday. Some have to work. Um, that's where this country has gone. There used to be blue laws. Very few people ever worked, so you didn't have to make any decision or not. You just you, everybody was off during that day, and of course. Uh, that's going back to Ozzie and Herod days and <laughs> leave it to Beaver and whatever, but um, yeah, well, it's it's a tough thing now, I know. Um, but to me, if there would be any way possible at all, I, I just could not accept anything on a Sunday. It's the most important day and I have obligations to people here. That's the most important thing. And, and I know that's the way that you guys are. Sometimes there come situations where you you don't have a choice. What do you do? Well, use wisdom. Is God going to strike you down for that? No, not necessarily. And I've known people who got in the situation, they were told they were not going to work on Sundays, and then they usually, that's what happens. And these people were really following everything of the Lord and they knew that they had to go ahead and go that route at least for a while so they didn't have any other kind of income coming in and things had to be done. And so they did that, and uh, God honored it after a, a certain amount of time, and uh, they were given the time to to come back to worship. And usually, God does that. You know, it's 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 quite a test, and it, it's it's going to be up to that individual uh, uh, eventually of you know what can be done because we're we all might have to face that you know sometime. But I think it's it's a great gift that we have it still yet. It, it, it's here at least uh, you know as a nation we have one day we kind of observe a little bit and. Uh, of course, business places almost all of them are open now. Um, so that's a thing between I think one and the Lord. I don't think we can make up laws and rules. Well, you can do this and you can't do this, and here's what Sunday is, and here's what I I think we can run right into the same thing that the Pharisees did, and uh, the law and grace sometimes you know where they they meet in Christ, yet you have a fine line there. And uh, boy, it's it's tough. But Christ here definitely makes it very clear that uh, it's made made for man. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus is above the law. <laughs> he is above the law. When Jesus said he was the Lord of the Sabbath, he claimed to be greater than the law and above the law because he can put grace over law. We know that in our salvation. To the Pharisees, this was absolute heresy. This was one of their biggest, if not the biggest, stickler. They did not realize that Jesus, who was before them, was the creator of the Sabbath. God is greater than His creation. And I think we all know that, you know, really, we don't have to get bound up in some of the things and there are many churches, many denominations that will say that you have to worship on the Sabbath. Well, they want to, you know what? Fantastic, and I will never say a bad thing against them. Good, do it. Hey, I can worship on that Saturday too if I want to. And I can also worship on Sunday. 
I can worship on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I can worship every day. You guys can do it. And I think that's this is a good message for that as we see a lot of the Scriptures, but it's about time to close. I think Jesus, what He's doing though, He shakes the tree. And He's shaking us even. You know, whatever little things that we might hold on to that we have our own little religious thing. And I'm not saying that we're to be set free. Man, we can do anything that we want. You know, In one sense, we can. We're in Christ. But because we are in Christ, then we also have to apply the Romans 14. We have freedom in Christ. But it's always to glorify Him. And it's always to serve others. So if we ever become a stumbling block for anybody, and even though we might have freedom... We've just sinned now if we've become a stumbling block and we tried to be that way. <laughs> it's a fine line, isn't it, guys? It's a fine line. But this controversy, Jesus settles, and He'll have to continue to settle it on throughout His ministry. The new line of the Gospel, it represented the entrance of the Messiah into history, into where mankind is at could not be contained. The Gospel could not be contained in the old tradition of the Pharisees. Aren't you glad? You look in the book of Galatians and then throughout the rest of the New Testament and Paul is constantly having to talk about the Judaizers who were trying to bring on circumcision and these particular laws and the Sabbath and all of that. There they were. And these people were supposed to be Christians. Were even Christians and still trying to put something binding on them. Gospel cannot be contained in the old traditions of the Pharisees any more than the new wine could be placed into the old wineskins. The new kingdom brought an entirely new relationship between God and His people. An attitude of joy and blessings, not burdensome restrictions. Christ had the power to decide when the rules could be overturned. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word. And thank You for Christ, who is our joy. The restrictions of man are burdensome. Although we want to be obedient, we want to follow the law of Christ the royal law of love. It's loving Christ, pursuing Him and all the things that He's about. And then also loving others by Christ being in us. That fulfills all the law. Thank You for Your truth and Your Holy Spirit. And may we resemble You a little bit more today. In Jesus' name, Amen.